The Seattle Seahawks got their season upright again with a thrilling overtime victory in Detroit. Joining us to break it all down, look ahead to this Sunday's matchup with the Panthers, and figure out just what kind of team Seattle is, is NFL writer for The Ringer, Danny Kelly. It's the 100th episode of Cigar Thoughts. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my centennial producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Feeling great, Jackson. We have reached quite the milestone today, haven't we? Unbelievable. Unbelievable, man. I can't believe it. You know, I'm I'm down in Arizona with the fam right now, and it was actually right here in this house <laughs> next to the pool almost two years ago to the day yep. that you and I started formulating the idea of turning Cigar Thoughts into a proper podcast. And here we are, 100 episodes later. Yeah, man, we've uh, we've seen some shit over the last two years. We got to see a Russell Wilson <laughs> yeah. trade. We got to see a reset. We've got to see the emergence of the Geno Smith era. But all in all, wouldn't change it for the world, man. Happy where we've gone and where we're going to continue to go. Yeah, man, we get to celebrate today. Not only this show's milestone, but a classic Seahawks thriller as they got back to one and one with that wild win over the Lions. And we get to do it with, honestly, the perfect guest for the occasion. But before we do... We got cigars now. As many of you know, we have partnered with one of the most prestigious cigar manufacturers in the world to create the official Cigar Thoughts cigars, which you can order directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Just follow the link to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf. Or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, and we'll send you the details directly. The feedback on these has been overwhelming so far. As we've mentioned before, a box of 10 of these cigars would normally go for between $350 to $400, but our partnership allows you to get your own bundle of 10 for just $169, less than half of MSRP, and the cigars come with a Bovita humidification pack and a Mylar storage bag to make sure they stay fresh, whether you have a humidor or not. We also appreciate all the love y'all have given our YouTube channel, where you can catch entire episodes as well as video clips from every show, including this one. This is one of the best ways you can help Cigar Thoughts grow, so we're grateful for the few seconds you can take to subscribe and like the videos. So Mike, after an absolutely brutal start to the season, the Seahawks found themselves. They overcame an early deficit, exploding in the second half to force overtime, and they won in dramatic fashion with a walk-off touchdown from Geno Smith to Tyler Lockett. That win got Seattle back to 500, staved off the desperation many of us would be feeling had the game gone the other way. And joining us to talk about it is a rising star within NFL media. He writes about the league for The Ringer, is the author of what may very well be the best draft guide out there, and hosts one of the most listened to fantasy football podcasts in the world, The Ringer Fantasy Football Show. He was also the very first guest we ever had on Cigar Thoughts. He is Danny Kelly. Danny, thanks for joining. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. It's uh, it's awesome bringing it full circle with you. You were <laughs> guest number one, and here we are on the 100th episode. Wow. We've got you back. This is a huge milestone. Congratulations for 100 episodes, by the way. That's awesome. Um, thank yeah, you. Thank you for having me on. Of course, man. Well, look, let's get right into that game last Sunday. Yeah. One of the things that really stood out to me and, and what made this win so impressive to me was the environment that Seattle showed up to. I mean, it's a early start road game. Super unique environment. It was the home debut for a starved fan base. They're coming off a season opening upset of the Chiefs. They sold out season tickets for the first time since the original Model T came out. And they inducted Barry freaking Sanders into their ring of fame (laughs) with a goddamn statue unveiling. Like that place was going bananas. Meanwhile, the Seahawks are coming off that grisly second half against the Rams. They're playing without their two starting tackles. Mm -hmm. Describe your expectations leading up to kickoff. You know, I was I was actually not panicking quite yet. I think looking at the week one, how they played in week one, it was just like, man, this this is the perfect example of how things can absolutely just go sideways when you lose two of your offensive linemen to your most important players on the offense, um, especially in the middle of the game. Yeah, right? that, because exactly. you, you haven't been able to plan for that. Exactly. And so I, I, I kind of just chalked that up to one of those things where in a in a game, it's like, you know, NFL games are just kind of chaotic. 
in the game. They were just <laughs> right. unable to adapt. They were unable to get things going. And then just one thing led to another. And all of a sudden the game was over. They had 12 yards in the second half. So I wasn't really too panicked. I, I definitely was like, well, shit, this is supposed to be one of the best offenses in the NFL. Maybe this is, maybe there's a major regression coming here. So um, I was a little bit worried about that. But at the end of the day, like weird things happen in games. So I wasn't too panicked. I thought playing on the road in, like you said, in that environment against a team that's really hot right now has incredible immaculate vibes right now, just had beaten yeah. the chiefs, all that stuff that you said, um, you know, to go in there and play pretty well, play pretty cleanly. Uh, I thought was a huge, huge, like indication of what this team is going to be in and like sort of just a relief, I guess that they are who we thought they are more or less. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't too panicked, but it was really good to see them actually come out and play well. And it seems like the tackles, you know, acquitted themselves well, the, the two backup tackles. Yeah. And all in all, Gino looked like Gino. The receivers looked like the receivers. Kenneth Walker did Kenneth Walker-style things again. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel pretty good about it, the Seahawks overall right now. Yeah, me too. And, you know, it's like I said in the article, that game wasn't perfect, but perfect shouldn't be the expectation, especially in the NFL. <laughs> no. I, don't, I don't care what team you are, yeah. you know, and – the things that I'm looking for is execution in high leverage situations, resilience, the ability to make adjustments. And I feel like Seattle did all of that because the NFL season isn't one monolithic time block. It's a bunch of little seasons crammed in there and mm -hmm. things change so much with injuries and figuring out, you know, every, so many teams have new offensive defensive coordinators, new head coaches. So it's not static to who they were last year. Everyone's putting out new film. Obviously, new players have moved around. So I think the things that really matter over the course of four and a half, five months of an NFL season, we saw from Seattle on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, just everything you're saying, it just strikes me. The amount of variables that go into an NFL season, just an NFL, yeah. like even one game, like the amount of variables in, in one play is just just astounding. And so I think that's why we love football, honestly, is just because there's so many things that go into it. Um, the any given Sunday maxim or whatever is so true just because, you know, at, like literally anything can happen in these games and, and oftentimes they do. So it, to me, it's just like listening to you talk about that. It's just there's so many freaking variables in football. <laughs> um, it's so and, and again, like this is just getting off topic and a little tangent tangential, but like the fact that Seahawks have had sort of sustained success over the last like decade plus under Pete Carroll is pretty wild Amazing. considering just all the moving pieces, all the moving parts, all the different players. Um, there's like a mythical, this is really off topic. There's like a mythical thing. I, I can't remember what it's called. It's something ship where it's like, if you replace every single board on a ship, is it the same ship? Right. I can't yes. remember the name of it off the top of my head. I'm sure a listener was probably like a ghost or out there screaming at me, but um, <laughs> it's just sort of like a thought experiment. It's like if you replace every single board on a ship, is it the same ship? I guess obviously yeah. Pete Carroll is, is one of the main uh, you know components that's always been here, but um, I think it, it is just kind of wild to think about like how, how successful he's been over so long um, with so many moving parts and so much, so many variables week in and week out, year in and year out. So uh, going off on a tangent here, but yeah, no, 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 no. I'm actually glad you did because you know, every NFL coach talks about culture, but how many of them actually have it right? Mm -hmm. You look around the league and you see so much dysfunction and so much turnover and the Seahawks with Pete Carroll and John Schneider there have had their Polaris, right? Like they've had a North star that has guided them and you know, they've, they've gotten off track. Of course, no one stays at the top right. every year, but Seattle has been competitive in what 11 of the 12 seasons. Pete Carroll has been there. Yeah. And like you said, they've seen hall of famers come and go. So yeah, pretty, pretty impressive. And I do think, you know, it's, it's tough to talk about the intangible stuff, especially kind of in the analytic era, because we can't chart it. We can't say you know the vibes were an 8.5 on on this game or or whatever um but like that win to me was a vibes win yeah there was a dozen times where they could have folded in that game and they didn't at all uh in fact it felt like they kept getting better and there's so much like to your point there's so much that happens in any given play you know you extrapolate that over 120 plays in a game and, and you do you have this bee's nest of chaos and this game was like that. There's so much to get to, but I want to zero in on the offense to start. You know, yeah. they were so out of sorts after their first few drives last week. I'm with you. I think that just has to do with losing your starting tackles. Like, give me a break. Uh, but 
they were really, really sharp in this one. They had four touchdowns, six total scoring drives. The players obviously deserve tons of credit, but talk to me about what you saw with this team from like a scheme and play calling standpoint. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the there was definitely some interesting wrinkles. There, someone was tweeting out a picture where they had like four guys lined up in the backfield, and they did sort of a, a, this new thing that's uh, kind of taking over the NFL right now. It's like a burst motion where the guys like get a running start. Essentially, um, yeah. there was one in, one play in particular that just came to my mind when you asked me that. Where um, I don't even remember who they had in the backfield, but there was like two guys standing next to Geno Smith, who was in the in the pistol formation. Then you had a guy behind him. And the two guys yeah. on the right took off kind of right before the snap or whatever, or right at the snap. And they got like a running start down the field. And then they run like a flood uh, concept to the right side of the field. And kind of like, I think he threw, I think, I believe he threw a pass to Colby Parkinson on the play. But, it was. Um, yeah. It was that 20 yarder that set up uh, Walker's second touchdown. Yeah. It's, it, so like, yeah, to, to me, it feels like Waldron's kind of in his bag right now. Obviously the, the vibes are off after week one for sure. And you know, it kind of makes you pause and be like, Oh God, that maybe that's not so good. But in the second game, it felt like they always were able to come up with counter punches um, as they went along in the game. And, and obviously like the, the lead changed hands a few times um, or at least they, they tied it a couple of times or whatever. And so like, yeah, you know, I think they kept coming back. They kept coming up with new, new ways to like get guys involved. Um, and, you know, obviously, getting DK Metcalf involved, finding a way to get Kenneth Walker, um, you know, looks in the goal line area. And I think everything kind of like worked together really well. Like I think just like big picture and how it feels to watch this team really struck me in this game. Obviously week one was week one, but this game, um, the offense was just such a breath of fresh air to watch. Yeah. Like Geno Smith running the offense like how the offense is designed i know that this is sort yeah. of like a veiled shot at russell wilson but like getting to the line of scrimmage getting everybody ready being able to like make checks and make changes at the line of scrimmage nothing seemed like chaotic or rushed or whatever and so um you know just from a schematic and feel point of view like the offense is so uh satisfying to watch i think is yeah. like the the impression i came came away with um, and, you know, they still to me, like they still have not even, um, you know, there's still a lot of meat on the bone with what this offense could do. I like know, still not I really know. getting Jackson and Smith and Jigma involved. Um, you know, I still think Noah Fant can do more than what he's already done. Obviously, he looked pretty good in this last game, but I think yeah. they can get him even more involved. Um, they yeah. have a really good tight end room with Will Disley and Colby Parkinson. I think both of those guys are really good role players. Um, and then obviously Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf doing their thing. But like they have there's so much meat on the bone with that. They can get these other guys involved. And, you know, so I'm, I'm really excited about what this offense could do still after, obviously, a tough week one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, I was looking at the three teams that do the most pre-snap motion Ooh. in the NFL. Yeah. And they're the Chiefs, the 49ers, and the Dolphins. And those offenses are just yeah. amazing, right? And it's just like, to your point, give me movement. Give me deception. Totally. Right? Like the days of just here we come you know, we're going to be tougher than you. It doesn't work anymore, you know, and, and Seattle has so many weapons and it's, it's been cool to see them philosophically lean into their weapons mm -hmm. using high draft capital on people who are going to have the ball in their hands, their running backs, their receivers. And that only works if you lean into all of that. And, and it seems like they have, and none of that works unless the quarterback is capable. And, yeah. Okay. It's hard to talk about Gino without there being, you know, a veiled reference to what came before. And, <laughs> right. and one of the things, you know, Danny and O'Neill and I talked about the other week was it was nice. You know, it's kind of nice to just talk about Gino as Gino now, mm -hmm. you know, because before uh, I, I compare Russell Wilson's time in Seattle to like prime Russell Westbrook on the basketball court, like so good. So oh, that's good, yeah. capable I like that. of, just making these miraculous runs mm -hmm. right but it was hero ball and now i kind of feel like you're watching a little bit more of like the warriors offense where yes you have very good players but also everyone is doing their role everyone's getting involved they're moving without the ball doing all of that stuff but it only works yeah. if the quarterback makes it happen and gino completed almost 80 percent of his passes at eight yards per attempt yep. like that's a really difficult nexus to achieve yeah, and I was just looking at the the box score, one sack. Yep. God, and, how? And that was that goofy ass one in the fourth quarter. 
just how satisfying <laughs> is it to not take sacks? I mean, again, yeah. I'm not trying to. It's always going to. No, we're always going to compare. We're always going to compare. Yes. Russell Wilson took seven sacks. His Russell Wilson's in in his game with the Broncos the other day. I actually wrote about Russell Wilson today, plugging that. For the ringer, um, and I thought Russell Wilson actually looked better than he did at any point last year in this last game. Yeah, but I agree. Off topic, but yeah, it's just so like again, it's so satisfying. It's like I don't even know how to explain it. It's just like watching an offense how it's supposed to run is so much more enjoyable from a fan point of view. I know that the Russell Wilson like, uh, you know, scramble plays and where he's like doing the Houdini thing and escaping and making a big play, like all those plays are part of the identity of what the Seahawks were for like a decade, and and it was so much fun to watch and and. I'm grateful for all that, but at the same time, man, it's just nice to like be on time. It's like soothing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it, it to me. So like, I, I sort of compare it to like, you know, being a little bit OCD. I'm a little OCD. Like, I like order in my life. I like to, things uh-huh. to be neat and tidy. Like, I like my house to be like neat and tidy. If it, everything is cluttered and chaotic, it drives me crazy. And I feel like that was the Seahawks' offense <laughs> for ten years. You're like living in a in a house with like a toddler. And now it's like, oh, the kids have moved out. The house is really clean. Everything right. is in order. Everything's where it's supposed to be. It's just so satisfying to me from a, from a point of view of being like an OCD person. So, um, right. I don't know. I think Ru- that's Russ, like, that's how right. it is. Now. Russ was that that hot guy or girl where you go over to their apartment and there's just like <laughs> laundry everywhere here. and like <laughs> shit all dishes all over the counter. Yeah. So, you know, and I think also just, you know, from a schematic point of view, it, it like you mentioned before, it just allows the Seahawks to do more things when you kind of get into the offense and kind of you can build uh, you can build like plays off of each other throughout the game. So like you do one play and then it gets the defense thinking this is what you're going to do. And then you can like do the same play out of a different formation. Then you can do little tweaks on that play in, the, in an even different formation. And from there on and you can build and it really allows the, the offensive coordinator to like, you know, go deeper into his bag. And like it just feels like the Seahawks offense now is more um varied and versatile and and yeah uh, i'm t- trying to think of the word but like it's just there's just more to it there's more plays that they can get to and so um i don't know to me it, that was just really sa- a satisfying win really satisfying win you know they went five for 11 on third down you love to see that um yeah it's just like yeah. it's, it's just so much more satisfying to watch than i feel like it has been in like a last decade it is it is and i think that it's opening up parts of you know, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf's game that we haven't seen before. Like Tyler Lockett, he's, he's Jesse Pinkman in Breaking Bad, right? (laughs) He can't keep getting away with this. Like he's not slowing down. He's winning every single way. Like he's always been kind of this conundrum in that he's so little, but so efficient (laughs) on deep balls, right? Like usually it's the big guys that, that are dominating downfield and, and that's not the case with Lockett. He's, he's such a technician, but he's still winning in the short area. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of times you kind of see um, a guy like Lockett have to live, you know, once they get into their 30s. You're seeing it with Adam Thielen in Carolina totally. and, and at the end in, in Minnesota, right? But Lockett is still winning in every level of the field. And then the evolution in DK Metcalf yeah. is really exciting yeah. to see. I mean, he is catching the ball with his hands. He's using his body to shield defenders. Mm-hmm. His routes are really crisp. That huge third down in overtime, that route where he got outside release on the corner, got the safety over the top to commit to his outside shoulder, and then cut yeah, over the like top the, of him to settle into the window. The look over his right shoulder before running to the left. Unreal. Yeah. Like that's that's veteran high-level shit. And you combine that with his physical skills. I mean, it's super exciting. Yeah. And it's like... Think about the the development that he's had to go through to get to that point. Like literally, I think right. from in his rookie season, I don't remember. Did he run anything other than on the left side of the formation? It was just I'm like straight sure. down the field, line up in the <laughs> yeah. left and run. It's like Forrest Gump. It's you know like run <laughs> right. down the field, guy. Uh, totally. They like point him in one direction and let him run. And now like yeah, I mean obviously he's in his fifth year now, right or fourth year, and he's you know developing exactly how you'd want to see you know he's he's doing he's getting a short game going on if, it, if you want to use a golf reference or whatever and so yep. um yeah it's great to see i i don't know if you heard the other day i had to do like an impassioned defense of dk metcat dk metcat on, <laughs> on the ringer fantasy show because I, I did but run it back somebody had the gall to say that dk metcalf is just fine and 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 i had to launch into like this whole thing about how you know yeah. he's basically top 20 among all receivers ever in the nfl in you know, catches, yards, touchdowns, um, 
and all that good stuff in the first three seasons of his career. Is he fourth or fifth season? I can't remember. It's his fifth season. Fifth season. And yeah, I mean, he is on like short list with Hall of Famers in terms yeah. of just his raw stats. Yeah. And it gets even crazier if you filter by age because he came out young. Oh, I should have done that. I, sh- I should have brought you on just for this segment because <laughs> I know I know your love of DK Metcalf is pure. But like, I had, I had to like seriously go off a little bit. I mean, it's like, yeah. I don't understand. How, like, how does this happen to me? Like, this isn't DK Metcalf supposed to be the guy that everybody loves? He's this fucking huge, ripped, really fun, cool receiver, yeah. and he's and his production is off the charts. And right. why? How is that guy underrated? I don't, I don't understand how this happens. Like, maybe people are just like hipsters nowadays, and they want to push back against like the obvious, but. Yeah, to me, it's just like wild that people are like, oh, yeah, he's just fine. I guess maybe it's the idea that like in fantasy drives a lot of discussion. And I and I acknowledge I'm on a fantasy podcast, so that's probably a big right. part of it. But like, you know, maybe because he's not an elite fantasy player at this point yet. And, and that's been partly due to the fact that the Seahawks offense is just sort of so balanced. But um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I don't understand how you can well, think TK Metcalf is anything but awesome. So um, but yeah, it's, it's great to see him sort of developing and getting his skill set um where it needs to be at to to continue building on what he's done over four years yeah you know my my theory is i think that he has had some uh difficult luck the last two years and i do think fantasy drives a lot of it no one has time besides you to watch every nfl game every week and so (laughs) you do it because it's your job (laughs) it's like you know so they see i had dk on my on my fantasy team and he was wide receiver 16 or whatever but you know two years ago he was playing with a quarterback that had a broken finger and like wasn't completing any passes. Right. And then last year he just had crazy bad touchdown luck. He literally led the NFL in end zone targets last year and they only converted 25% of those. If that was even the 50 to 55% that you typically see on end zone targets. Now you're talking about a 12, 13 touchdown season the conversation about DK Metcalf would be totally different. So yes. yeah, I, I think he's still the same player on the same trajectory. He always has been. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I echo everything you said that you put the words in my mouth. <laughs> you mentioned uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba earlier and yeah, you know, it's interesting. So he finds himself at the extremes of two really interesting stats. One in average yards of separation per route. He ranks first in the NFL. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he is last in the NFL in average depth of target. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's averaging what is it like 1.8 yards downfield on on his targets, and and obviously you've got those second and third level routes occupied by Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. Do you think that with JSN, this is kind of part of the plan? Like this is where you fit in the offense? Is this a hey, we're gonna slowly ramp you up, especially since you're coming off that injury? Yeah. Or is this just kind of who he is? I think the the former. I think it's it's just like a part of the process. You know what I mean? It's it's similar to what they did with TK Metcalf, where it's like you go run what you're good at right away. I think for now, like, and and we're already seeing little flashes of it. I I would say just that he's like kind of coming in right now and doing a certain role, like playing a, playing a certain role when they need to get someone that can get open quickly and get him the football. You know what I mean? And so um, that was exactly what I was hoping he would be for the Seahawks. And I know that he's already made a couple of plays on, on third downs to convert for first downs. Um, that's how I have envisioned him as like sort of the Seahawks, um, you know, specialist to come in and convert first downs when they really need like a quick play. He's already got two first downs and I mean, he's not running a ton of routes. Um, right. So he's kind of a blitz beater too, which they didn't yeah, have last year. Exactly. And so I think, you know, his role is definitely going to expand. I mean, he can, he can, I don't know if he's ever going to be, he's never going to be like a Tyler Lockett type of player, probably where he's like super, super dangerous down the field. Um, but I still think he can do that. I still think he can play at all three levels and he shakes guys so well as a route runner that, you know, that's going to be something he can do going forward. Right. I'm looking at some of his stats right now. He's played. 78% of his uh, snaps in the slot so far. And, and just yep. like the the nature of the beast, I guess, is when you're a slot player is like you're going to be kind of just like over the middle of the field, short, quick stuff. And so I think they're going to scheme him up and, and let him do his thing more often going forward. But, um, you know, for now, it's just sort of like he's playing that role f- for what the Seahawks need and, and Lockett and yeah. DK are kind of like the, the field stretching type of it, guy. It's, it kind of lets you start doing a thought experiment about what if Doug Baldwin had overlapped with 
DK Metcalf. Totally, totally. You know, like he's he's got those shifty little arrow routes, but a lot of times we talk about possession receivers and in our minds we're thinking, you know, it's Hunter Renfro out there. But like he runs his routes powerfully and yeah. and the comp that I've and you know, whenever we do comps, we always tend to choose like the high end ones. The Hall of I think famers. He has the ped- yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think he has the pedigree um to kind of warrant this a, at least a little bit as a prospect. To me, he reminds me of Keenan Allen, who mm-hmm. can win in the first 10 yards yeah. really decisively because mm-hmm. JSN is not a super small guy, yeah. you know, and, and we had Michael Bumpus on who uh, was a receiver, obviously very gifted uh, in college, played a little bit in the NFL. And he said, Stefan Diggs. Um, I think that's like the really top wow. end yeah, of, of what you could hope to see. Mm-hmm. But he just said from a technical standpoint, like he's already a vet when it comes to running the routes. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's crazy watching him run routes. It, it there's, it's a cliche, but I think it's so true that he's just a football player, you know, because everybody was talking before the draft about like, oh, he doesn't have elite speed. He doesn't have elite size. He's probably mainly a slot guy. But then you watch him run routes I know, and he's I his know. body control is just so incredible. Like the way that he can uh, take like, he takes fewer steps than anybody else. Like he doesn't have to like gear down and gear up. He can just change directions. He can turn his body and contort his body to make catches. He's really good with his hands. Um, good eye hand coordination. Like he can make crazy hard, make crazy difficult catches and still like, yes. not lose stride. Like just dude, his tape is flawless. Yeah, it's cra- like I think just the way he plays is so uh, not unique, clearly, but like pretty rare in the way that he can um, you know catch a football and not change strides, not change speed gear like change direction move up field avoid a defender this is why he was like able to create so many yards of the catch in college even though he's not like a big powerful strong fast guy it's just because he can change direction you know what i mean it's like it's an innate ability to control his body um where he's not losing speed he's not he's not having to gear up and gear down or take a bunch of like a whole bunch of steps he's not like this kind of guy where he's you know chopping his feet 12 times he just like plants his foot and turns and he's like creating separation so yeah um there's just something there, man. Like if you go back even to his high school years, like he was an incredible high school player, like one of the best high school players of all time uh, in yeah. terms of statistics. And it's like, dude, there's just something here with this guy, man. Like he's just freaking good. Dude, he had 300 yards in the Rose Bowl at like 19 <laughs> years old. <laughs> I mean, like maybe he's just good, you know, like yeah. here's a here's yeah. a thought. So like uh, obviously, you know, he, he did go in the first round, but um, I always thought it was a little wild that people were like trying to tell me he's not like a high level prospect like this guy's just extremely good at the game and i think we're gonna see that as the year goes on like i'm gonna call my shot like it would not surprise me if he has like a slot fade touchdown this week um something like that where they kind of try to get him involved a little bit more downfield since they've been doing so much near the line of scrimmage like kind of just like as a change up you know yeah yeah no i you know the thing that stands out to me when i watch jsn is he just creates fractions Right. Like just by by getting that step down a little bit sooner, he creates a fraction more space, a fraction yeah. more separation, fraction more time for his quarterback. And and that stuff adds up when you multiply it by, you know, what I hope is eventually 30 to 40 routes a game. Right. Uh, you know, last thing on the offense. And I know that there's a lot of overlap with, you You know, you you do fantasy football, but you do actual football analysis mm-hmm. too and and uh you know that's so i'm excited to talk to you about ken walker and yeah. the seahawks backfield because there was a lot of consternation both among seahawks fans but also certainly in fantasy circles about whether walker was limited as a running back obviously we've seen the home run speed but he i think had the highest percentage of runs in the nfl that went for zero or negative yards last year right. uh definitely when you watch games you saw him and you see this with a lot of young running backs who were excellent in college. They're used to being the most athletic guy on the field. Yeah. And so they'll hop out of the gap that they're supposed to be running into and not take the three yard gain, trying to bounce it out. And they end up losing two. Yeah. I haven't seen a lot of that from Ken Walker. We've, we've seen that kind of water skeeter darting back and forth style running, but he seems to be picking his spots a little bit better. And most importantly to me, it seems like the team is trusting him in the yep. goal line situations. They're keeping him on the field in third downs. What are you seeing? Is this his backfield or is he kind of a placeholder until Charbonnet gets up to speed and it becomes more of a 50, 50. I don't know if this is me just uh, digging my heels in, but like I was one of the bigger in terms of fantasy, I was one of the bigger proponents for Kenneth Walker in this offseason. Basically, just like, yeah, like I like Charbonnet. I think he's a good, strong, powerful, useful runner. He's not anywhere near Kenneth Walker, in my opinion. 
Um, and thank you. I think if you go back and honestly, like this, I was watching uh, Jaden Reed, the receiver for the Packers. I went back and was yeah. watching some of his tape from 2021 or 2022. I can't remember. And, you know, Kenneth Walker was the offense for Michigan State yeah. that year. And I'm like, if you watch Kenneth Walker's Michigan State tape and then you watch Charbonnet, it's like these guys aren't in the same stratosphere. Kenneth Walker was like a Heisman hopeful. You know what I mean? Like Kenneth Walker is an incredibly talented, powerful, explosive, elusive runner. I would say Charbonnet is like a powerful downhill, no nonsense guy. He can be useful in the passing game. But like in terms of elusiveness, uh, create it like b- the ability to create on your own. Totally different stratosphere. And that's not taking anything away from Charbonnet. It's mainly just to say, I think Walker is an elite, elite runner, like pure running ability. I would put Walker up there with just about anybody. Obviously, Bijan is like in a new stratosphere as far as I'm concerned. And there's a couple guys I would still put above Kenneth Walker, but just pure running ability. Kenneth Walker is freaking awesome. And so it's been validating for me to see how the Seahawks have used Kenneth Walker so far. I mean, like his uh, like touches, 17 touches a game so far through two weeks. Uh, The next closest is Charbonnet with four and a half touches a game. Like this is his backfield. I think outside of one run to DJ Dallas in overtime last week, I think he has all of their green zone carries too. So inside the 10 yard line. And, you know, that was one of those things that, you know, I'm a fantasy degenerate too, as you know Mm -hmm. very well. Probably more than me, honestly. Yeah. yeah, That might be. <laughs> and you know, there's there's so much talk about how well he was so inefficient near the goal line, and so obviously yeah. they need to bring in someone who's better at that. And I just that stuff is not sticky, mm-hmm. you know. It's so variance, variance related. Yeah. You can have you know Legarrette Blunt score 18 touchdowns one year, and then like four the next. You totally. know, like it just there's so much that doesn't have to do with the running back that determines whether or not you get three yards or not. Right, and and so I just it's it's validating to see him converting on these goal line runs at such a high rate. Yeah. And like I like I I understand some of the concerns. I'm not saying they're they're not valid. Like the concerns coming in that he dances around too much. He tries to reverse the field a little bit no too question. much instead of like just getting the hard yards, getting forward, you know, like not putting yourself in a bad position. I totally understand that. And I don't like invalidate. I don't think it's invalid or whatever. At the same time though, like explosive plays from from the run game can be like a real game changer for your offense and especially a type of offense i think that Pete carroll wants to run where you know they they want to be balanced they're certainly like you know more pass heavy than they were in the old days because geno smith runs the offense the way they want to run it but um i do think that they want to be balanced Pete carroll has always preached like if their passing game's not working we want to be able to run you know what i mean like we want to have that in our bag and so um, I'm just looking at some of the stats. I'm at fantasypointsdata.com, you know, fantasy points data suite, which is really awesome. Kenneth Walker right now is averaging uh, 0.45 missed tackles forced per attempt, which is 11th in the NFL. And there's some guys that have run like two times above him. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. he is he's an elite tackle breaker, elite creator. And I think the explosive plays are going to come. We haven't quite seen him like break off a big one yet, but I think those are going to come. And I agree with you. Oh, no question. I, I agree with you completely about the goal line stuff. I feel like that was a little bit over, overwrought or whatever. Like, there's just like, there's only so many goal line opportunities. I think he had like nine, like over yeah. a whole year. Right. It's like, there's so much variance in that. Touchdowns in general are just like yes. a completely, not completely random, but like a very high variance play in football. There's only like four or five touchdowns in a game. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. or if that, like probably less than that. And so, yeah, I think, th- I think the average team scores like two and a half touchdowns a game. Right. So that's not a lot to go around. Right. Exactly. And unless you're Christian McCaffrey or Derek Henry, you're just not going to see a stickiness in your touchdown total exactly. year over year. So all that being said, all, all that um, put together, I, I, I think he's an elite runner, like runner of the football. He's, I put him up there with some of the best running backs in the NFL and, um, you know, I'm just really excited about what he can continue to do. I obviously I'm I'm not saying I think they should never play Charbonnet because I think Charbonnet is good too. I like Charbonnet. Um, I just love Kenneth Walker. I guess yeah. is just what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, me too. So I wasn't nearly as concerned with the offense last week. Kind of like you, you just look, you lose your tackles, wheels fall off. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, just break and, down. and everything just kind of <laughs> got flushed, right? But the defense displayed a lot of the same things I've 
been concerned with for the last few years, especially last year. Um, and the reason I was less concerned with the offense is mostly because we saw Seattle put together a good offense over the duration of an entire season last year. And then they added significant talent via the draft to that. The defense this year, though, giant mystery box. Yeah. And week one wasn't a super encouraging start. We spent all offseason kind of hypothesizing about the scheme for this defense. But right now, I'm more interested in the vibes because Jared Goff looked like he was playing seven on seven in the first half. <laughs> right. But Seattle finally got disruptive in the third and fourth quarter. Uh, between the two sacks and the three turnovers, all of which basically happened in the second half, I'm hoping to see a more explosive defense moving forward. But you write and talk about every team in the league. So you've got a perspective that I simply don't. Mm. When you watch the Seahawks, do you find yourself wanting more of a high-risk, high-reward style of defense, or are you more comfortable with the bend but don't break approach? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I I would say generally bending but don't break the bend but don't break style sucks to watch. <laughs> like, yeah, you know what I mean. You like, just sixteen play drive after sixteen play drive. <laughs> I, like, I would get my offense back on the field. Yeah, man. I don't like know. Like six possessions per game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the, so. There's a you know clearly a big difference between what is entertaining and what's good in in terms of like what these coaches are wanting to do like obviously you want to keep if you're like coaching the idea of like keeping everything in front rally and tackle play physical and like over the long term that's going to be better than like taking a bunch of risks like i understand that philosophy like intellectually but again mm -hmm. it sucks to watch like i hate watching that shit like it's just not very fun i like i like the teams that are like bringing heat try to mix things up try to make things happen obviously sometimes they're going to get beat um, but that's just not, that's not Pete Carroll. You know, that's not really his style. That's not what he's going to do. Um, he doesn't want to give up the big plays. And I think there's, you know, statistically, like there's a lot of arguments in favor of what he's talking about in terms of, you know, not, not letting teams get explosive plays, like making them yes. execute is a good plan. Um, I think just the problem with the Seahawks, at least, and I, I haven't actually, to be completely honest, like rewatched the Seahawks defense much. I'm much, much more focused on offense just because I do fantasy football all day long. Um, yep. But my like impression is just they haven't gotten much pressure. Like, no. you know, I'm not you know breaking new ground here. It just doesn't seem like they have the horses up front, or they're just they haven't put it together. They haven't put together like their plans to, to make these guys flourish yet. And that's something that Pete Carroll talks about all the time. By the way, it's like they have to learn their players over the season. They've got a couple new guys on the defensive line, and I think they're trying to figure out how to like make Draymond Jones work and and all that stuff. But like. It seems to me like it's just too easy for opposing offenses so far. And I think a lot of that starts with just what's going on up front. Um, and, you know, I think their, their secondary has a capability and potential to be elite, which is, you know, obviously if uh, Devin Witherspoon comes in and, like, plays well and can do his thing, like yeah. that's going to help a ton. But, like, they have the potential and they have some of the players that they could make their secondary elite. I'm just a little bit worried about their front seven. Let's stick on that for a moment because I feel like Devin Witherspoon is kind of the avatar of that aggressive defensive approach, force the offensive hand <laughs> totally. philosophy. And you kind of saw the full the full Monty of that this yeah. past weekend. How yeah. did you guys feel about Devin Witherspoon's NFL debut? Well, he got he got beat on that play, right? The flea flicker. Yeah, the flea flicker. That is what it is. I mean, like that's why they do flea flickers. It's a trick play, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I, I yeah, and again, like this is going back to what I was going to say. Sorry to cut you off, Jackson, but like, I I would prefer, and I, this is why I was really excited about the Devin Witherspoon pick. Is like he is just he plays with his freaking hair on fire. Like he is, yeah. And I, I'm sure that's why they loved him. You know what I mean? Like he's a tone setter. He's a guy that's gonna like come downhill and hit hard. Uh, you know, and and I don't know if like take chances is the right word, but he's gonna like break on the ball hard, and that's probably why he got beat in this game. And that's a lesson learned. Um, but you know, again, it's not like I expected him to never give up a touchdown, even though that's pretty much what Tariq Wallen did last year. But like, you know, the discourse around great corners is so busted. They they've it's lost like... they've lost before they started. If you give up any I touchdowns, totally... it's like it's like a left tackle. I feel like corners and left yeah. tackles are just yeah. fucked from a narrative point of view because a, a left tackle can have say the, say a team plays fifty offensive or say because it's more like 60, 65 offensive yeah. snaps. If he gives up one bad play. Everyone's just bitching about him for the next week. You know what I mean? You can play, you can play fifty nine out of sixty good plays, and then if you give up a yep. sack, everyone's like, "God, this guy sucks. We got to get rid of him." And so it's just like the the big plays are like hyper. Everyone hyper focused on it, and this is the nature of just how people consume football. Most of the time, right. you can't see these corners. You know what I mean? They're off yeah. the screen. 
Like they're literally not even on your screen. Like the majority of the like, game. Yeah. Oftentimes when the ball, when you don't see them, it's because they won their rep. Mm-hmm. So I just think this, the, you know, it just sucks to be, <laughs> sucks to be a corner, honestly, unless you're uh, a guy like Richard Sherman, who's just p- picking off a lot of passes. But um, for the, the vast majority of corners, I'd say like this, the chips are already stacked against you narrative wise, just because, you know, it's like if you give up one big play, like everyone hates you. It thinks you're a bust. But um, I would say, like, generally speaking, again, I, I need to rewatch the game to, like, get a better idea of it. It's like I'm doing the whole Pete Carroll thing. I need to check the tape. But it, based on my impression of the first game, like, he was flying all over the place, you know? He had a couple of big Dude. plays. Um, there was one play in particular where Jameer Gibbs, one of the most explosive, literally, like, one of the most explosive running backs in the NFL, probably. Yes. He tried to cut it outside and... Uh, Witherspoon played it absolutely perfectly. I watched the, I did see the all Dude. 22 of that play. He basically like, he kept his gap. And then when Gibbs tried to break it outside, he, he kept with him, like forced him back inside, made the tackles like a perfect play. So like those types of things are really encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, he gave up that touchdown on the flu flicker. And I was so interested to see, like, here's a guy who's <laughs> here's a guy, uh, here's, here's a, a guy. player that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, oh, that's been I love been it. out there for one quarter yeah, in yeah. his NFL career and he gets schooled, right? Yeah. It's it's a, a great play caller and a veteran quarterback seeing their opportunity against a rambunctious youngster. And he didn't buckle one bit. Yeah. In fact, he was awesome after that because he had given up another reception on like an in route, I think, to Josh Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Um a little bit earlier mm-hmm. before that too. And then after that, he had the tackle on uh, Jameer Gibbs. He he came up and made another really nice tackle in the flat on Sam Laporta. He broke up both of Detroit's failed fourth down conversions. Like they targeted him, the rookie making his good. debut yeah, good on fourth downs. Yeah. And he broke both of those up, you know, like that guy came out, he punched back yeah. after they got him, you know, and, and I think that is the exact quality uh, that they really loved about yeah. him coming out, uh, coming out of Illinois. Uh, to add to that, real quick, just yeah, yeah. I think that's absolutely like dead on right. Like th- there's an element of being a corner that's very similar to being like a receiver or even like a quarterback, where you have to have a really short memory. And if you're not like uh, uber confident, borderline delusional, that a lot of these corners are. And receivers, like receivers are divas, and and that's a good thing. Like that's what you want. Like that's this is why like the discourse around DK Metcalf drives me crazy because it's like, dude, you want to have a guy who thinks he's like yes. the shit. You know what I mean? Like that's what every great receiver has been, other than like Steve Largent. You know, I'm, there's sh- right. there's shades of weirdness going on in there, and by that I mean like racism. But like, um, I think you want to have you want to have your corners, your receivers, your quarterback be crazy people, and. Devin Witherspoon is a crazy person. There was plays in college where he would give up a pass and then he'd talk shit to the guy who had just caught a pass. Like, this is a crazy person in a good way. And he's so confident. He's so brash. He's so competitive. That's really the best word for it. He's just a a hyper-competitive player. Um, And that gets exactly what you said, where it's like, if you get beat one time, if you start to, like, curl up and get nervous and fear like fearful and all that like that's like the exact opposite of what you want then they're going to pick on you yeah this is a guy who's uber confident knows what he can do he's going to come back he's going to punch back and you know it's the attitude thing is very important i think for those positions because you got a lot of really good athletes playing corner um a lot of it is just like uh techniques of course important but like confidence and you know just the the mental part of it that really matters and so um yeah i was very encouraged with with witherspoon i just think he's He's got the potential to be like a huge impact player for them, and we saw like sh- flashes of it. And I don't really care honestly that he got beat for the quarter for the touchdown on that play in particular. No, no, me either. It was like, all right, you got me. That's it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is like exactly what I'm talking about. Like he, like he would give up a, a pass and be like, and he'd be like, all right, that's the last one you're getting, guy. Like he's talking shit on completions. <laughs> like I just love that. About I know. Him. I know. I know. So so good. And then you know, kind of like the undiscussed underlayment of this game was that Tariq Woolen left. And so you've got a pro bowl borderline, all pro talent off the field 
And so now you're relying on Devin Witherspoon. And then on the other side of the field, you had Trey Brown, who played the game of his life. I mean, the guy. Another guy, same, same, cut from the same cloth. Same thing. Just you know what dog, I mean? yeah. man. Absolutely. <laughs> like you, a, a corner yeah. that wants to hit. Yes. And I mean, look, look at this in this game. He had a pick six, he had a fumble forced, he had a sack. And then none of those were even his best play of the game. Best play of the game was in the fourth quarter on third down. And he's lined up out on the right side of the defensive formation, guarding the perimeter. And his man goes up the sideline. And then they run like a little seam route to the inside of that. And as the pass is being thrown, he breaks off of his guy, cuts under the seam route, dives and bats it away to give his team the ball back in a crucial moment. Like huge. (laughs) I mean, the, these guys can ball. Yeah. And I think th- so that's a, this is a great example of why I'm actually pretty bullish on the Seahawks secondary. Obviously, they have like if everyone's healthy, Devin Witherspoon, Jamal Adams, you know, Quandre Diggs, Tariq Wallen, that's a really good, I think, like starting caliber group. But then you add in guys like Kobe Bryant, Trey Brown, Michael Jackson apparently had like the best uh, training camp of like any of the corners yes. on the team, apparently, from what, what I've heard. Um, and again, I'm not like. Break. Julian Love. Oh yeah, Julian Love. Back there making Good 11 tackles a game. Yeah, and like, you know, there's this they've got some depth here that I'm really excited about. Um and then they can move some guys around. You know, I even like the Caillou Blue Kelly guy that they picked up off of waivers, like he might have some mm-hmm. potential to develop down the line. Um so, you know, again, I haven't like rewatched the all 22 of the Seahawks defense yet, so I can't like really comment on it, but like the pieces are there to have a really good group. And if we could just get a little more pass rush, I think that would be like you know, this is this team. This team could make a real jump from being sort of what we've seen over the last like seems like five or six years, just like a really average to bad group. Like this could make a jump if they could just get a little bit more uh, yes. from the front line. Yeah, Trey Brown had their first sack of the season, so I don't. <laughs> I saw. I, feel I like saw. That yeah, kind of speaks for itself. I think I saw the stat somewhere that the Seahawks had uh, their pressure rate in the first game was like five percent or something like that. It's like so it's essentially non-existent. They just got no pressure, which is any quarterback is going to thrive with no pressure. Like pretty much any quarterback in the NFL is just going to pick you. Well, it took, it took until late third quarter for Seattle to even throw a blitz at them that I saw. And then when they did, they got both their sacks off blitzes and their final two turnovers came off of blitzes. It's like, maybe just, maybe just, throw the fastball once in a while. Yeah, exactly. And then we got the Jared Goof sighting as soon as Nuosu gets pressure, just tearing around the <laughs> that's left what edge I'm saying. and forces the misfire and right to Trey Brown and got a pick six. That That's yeah. just it. And that's most quarterbacks in the NFL. Like there's, there's an elite dozen or so that are still really good at going through the reads and, and maneuvering the pocket when they're under pressure. But most guys statistically fall apart. And yeah. I think that's worth the gamble more often than not. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know what's like just big picture. Do you? You probably have a much better feel for this than I do. Just like since you're covering the team so closely, it's like, are the Seahawks gonna? What are they doing on defense? Are they gonna change their philosophy? I don't. I just don't really understand like what their goal is at this point. <laughs> like, I just don't like. They don't have an identity. I guess is my what I'm getting at. It's like I I, I knew what the Seahawks were for a long time. The Legion of Boom. We certainly knew what they were. I don't mm-hmm. know what the defense, the Seahawks defense is right now. It's just sort of like I'm not sure they do either. Yeah, yet. I don't like, I, know? I, specifically. I don't know if Pete has bought in. Like he's on the surface. He certainly didn't last year. Committed. He just pulled yeah. the plug on it last year, like halfway through. Yeah. So I think you can yeah, delude I, yourself into believing that the fully actualized version of the defense that they want to see can only be achieved with Jamal Adams on the field. So they, they believe that exactly. We've we've heard that from a number of guests on this show that they're basically like, they brought this defensive staff in and like a fulcrum of that is what are you going to do with Jamal Adams? And supposedly Clint hurt had a defense built around Jamal Adams as kind of like a death backer, uh, Buda Baker type player. Hmm. And they just haven't had, the ability to see what that looks like i mean this so, is like who knows my 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 reaction to that is like okay well let's build an offense around Kadarius tony it's like uh <laughs> no, might not be the best idea you know right. like i like who it. has better hands Kadarius <laughs> tony or jamal Jeez. adams oh, God. like i mean look have you seen him move like he moves crazy he's he's the most yeah. athletic guy i've ever seen he's on the field about like once every 10 
games and like he, when he gets in the game he plays like six snaps so um, i know by the way he's hurt again but those six snaps are glorious i mean they're amazing um yeah there's but yeah. it sounds like there's a chance jamal adams might be back this sunday yeah. uh because i want to talk about this panthers game mike have you heard whether he's supposed to play or not he's supposed to be full go in practice but there's okay. no word on whether he'll play or not well even if he's just in there as like a sub package guy for 20 snaps i'm excited to see the vision at least because Jamal Adams is whatever he's going to do. He's going to do at a hundred miles an hour. And that's to to answer your question about the defense. I think that's my issue. I don't see guys playing a hundred miles an hour. And I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. because of the scheme and what they're being asked to do, but this isn't a defense that's just putting their ears back and going after players, Totally, you know? And that's what ultimately I'm, I'm hoping to see more of, but this is, by the way, People are all people are talking. Obviously, this is already a huge thing. Seahawks should have taken Jalen Carter. Like I get it. Jalen Carter sure. is an elite talent. I think the very obvious and clear reason they didn't pick him is because they were worried about what would happen off the field. Uh, no one was questioning his talent. Now, right. over the long term, we're going to find out whether that's the right bet or not. You know, if Jalen Carter plays ten years and he never does anything off the field to like make them worry, then that's going to look probably like a bad idea. <clears throat> but I do think the reason they were willing to take Devin Witherspoon instead of Jalen Carter was because of his attitude, like the way that he brings it. You know what I mean? Like that, that way he practices. Yeah. The way he practices, just like the, it's a tone setting thing that I don't think the CX have had in years where you're like, this defense is scary. You know what I mean? Like they don't have that. And I think they need, it starts with getting guys that are just going to like elevate the players around them. And And I like, you know, again, this is all sort of theoretical, but like I remember watching Witherspoon's tape in college, and he was on every play pumping up the guys around him. Every single yes. freaking play, even when they Dude, like. Did you see the video of him when he didn't play in week one, and they were announcing all the players coming out of the tunnel? No, I didn't and see this. He- Oh my dude, you have to see this video. And he is just losing his mind. And when they get to Bobby, he's just like, Oh my God. Like, <laughs> see, this is, just, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like he's just losing his shit. He can't even play in his first NFL game. Yeah. And he is just so hyped. Yeah. And I, I'm totally with you. You know, I'm I'm like two tweets away from muting Jay, the words Jalen Carter mm-hmm. on Twitter. Which sucks because I'm super interested in him, but like yeah. Seahawks fans, just like chill for a sec. We know Jalen <laughs> Carter is good. Right. It looks like Devin Witherspoon's probably good too. Like we don't need to start shoveling dirt in week two totally. of players, you know, <laughs> first seasons. But uh I, I do really want to talk about this game against the Panthers real quick. Yeah. Uh because Seattle's gonna return home, which by the way, they have not been very good at. Yeah. Do you know the Seahawks are twelve and fourteen at home over the last three seasons? It's crazy, man. It's it, Talk about a departure from like the yeah. quote unquote glory years. Like, but you've seen this also like across the NFL. Like the, I'd say in general, uh, home field advantage is like much less of a factor than it used to be for for whatever reason for a number of reasons. Um, yeah, it's just well, I think you know, I think the the tenor of practices have changed like for decades. You know, NFL practices were these closed, secretive, super quiet deals, and now coaches understand like that's not how you play in the game so they've got the music and the officials and the whistles and the cheerleaders and the hooting and hollering and fans there and all of this stuff you know to kind of simulate a game environment Mm -hmm. and and i imagine that makes it easier to you know operate closer to your to your highest level but regardless seattle is coming home which i think is a good thing uh they're going to play the panthers how's the weather this weekend i think it's supposed to be nice yeah it's supposed to be good we should we should have good football playing conditions and i think when we all looked at the schedule we assumed we'd see number one overall pick bryce young in this game but apparently he sustained some sort of injury monday night and it's up in the air i think i saw now i think i think it's an ankle Okay. According Which, to Adam Schefter an hour ago, Andy Dalton is now tracking to start Sunday. Okay. Ah, okay. I hate I, this. I know. I I, I kind of <laughs> want I kind of want it to be <laughs> Okay, so let, let me ask you this. So, first of all, how do you think Seattle matches up with Carolina overall? And then as crazy as it sounds on the surface, do you think their odds are better against Bryce Young or against Andy Dalton? Uh, Bryce Young, probably. Honestly, I think I agree. like <laughs> I this agree. is this is such a classic Seattle thing that we're gonna get the backup quarterback and he's gonna actually be better. And like honestly, probably just run the offense a little more crisp 
and and cleanly, which is what you want. And, and again, the the bend up don't break thing. You got to put together like 10, 12 plays drives. Um, right now, the offense for the cart or for the Panthers is just bad, like really bad. Yeah. And it, it kind of carried over from the preseason. I don't know if you watched them in the preseason, but they were truly like they couldn't do anything. I don't. The, the first couple of um, games with Bryce Young, they literally got shut out. Like they did. They well, they I think they scored three points in their first two preseason games. Um, and that wasn't all Bryce Young, of course, because he only played a couple of series. But you know that carried over the the ineptitude or whatever carried over into the season. I think their offensive line hasn't been as good as they wanted it to be or expected it to be. They have no good receivers, essentially. Um, you know, Jonathan Mingo had some potential down the line, but he's a rookie in his first couple of games. DJ Chark yeah. just came back; he didn't really do anything. Adam Thielen is completely, you know, just lost his step at this point. Um, you know, that being said, are you ready to get strapped to the operating table and just hand this the scalpel to Andy Dalton? This is what I was getting. To. Adam Thielen. This is what I was getting to. And and because of all that, I feel very confident the Seahawks are going to completely just suck against. No, I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know. I think this could be a game where they get their confidence back you know what i mean yeah this, if they just go out there and it's 27 10 yeah. and they just handle their business oh i would nice? i would love that i i you know the seahawks fan in me the you know realist that's watched the lat this team play the last like six or seven years or whatever is probably like oh this is gonna be an ugly game but i think there is a chance that the seahawks come out and like actually shut this offense down um, and I really hope to see that because they should. They should. This, this defense, like the the Panthers' defense is like pretty good. They have like some really good young players. Um, so I don't know if the offense is gonna like the Seahawks' offense will be super like crisp and clean necessarily. But this is a chance for the Seahawks' defense to really like make a statement. I, I know that's like a cliche, yeah. but at the same time, it's yeah. like, dude, you're gonna come against Andy Dalton on an offense that has like no elite stars. You should make a statement in this game. I really hope to see it. Um, you know, obviously, I'm protecting my emotions, and I'm thinking it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. But they should. It should happen. I feel like it should happen this week. Yeah, I, I think so too. I'm fond of saying that all wins spend the same. You know, like wins in the NFL are difficult. Right. I don't care how you get them, but from a vibe standpoint, it just it would be nice to see them cover six and a half points. You know, <laughs> totally. Can we just get a blowout? And it just feels like there's no way Seattle covers six and a half points. <laughs> they might win, but I don't know that they cover. I know. It sucks. Uh, off topic, because it's not going to matter this week, probably. But like, what has your impression been of Bryce Young so far? Starting to get a little worried about that whole thing yeah so i'm i'm pretty patient yeah um, with rookies just in in general um but by the time you know going into sort of the nfl offseason he was my qb1 by the time we left the process he was my qb3 yeah you know pretty similar i, to I me. think yeah 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 you know i think that he has that innate quarterback ability. You you compared him to Jason Kidd, yeah. and I thought that was so perfect. Like the field awareness that he has is amazing, and it's just going to take time to calibrate that. He's he's just swimming in a much bigger pond <laughs> with bigger Speed. fish around him Speed now. Speed is different, man. It yeah. it is, but he's an he seems to be an elite processor. Um, he's he's very mobile. He's got the arm talent. The size is just going to be a thing, though, and. When we talk about quarterbacks being small, we talk about the challenge of things like throwing over the middle, finding passing lanes, stuff like that. He took a sack on Monday night where I think it was Cam Jordan got free mm -hmm. and he started to like move out of the pocket to the left. And Cam Jordan just like hit him on the shoulder pad with like a swim move and he, he like crumbled. <laughs> like just went down. Yeah. Right. And I feel like yeah. most NFL quarterbacks are not taking that sack. So that's the thing that that kind of worries me a little bit. Um, I think yeah, there's yeah. two really, really compelling cases to be made at number one for CJ Stroud, who looks awesome. Yeah. I think I think CJ Stroud is going to be an awesome NFL quarterback. Uh, and obviously Anthony Richardson, who is just like, man, I, I hope that guy can stay upright and healthy because Seriously. what we're seeing on a possession by possession basis from Richardson is just mind blowing mm -hmm. from from a rookie. So uh yeah, I if I was the Panthers, I, I'm not. I'm not worried yet. I'm not panicking. But right. this isn't this isn't how I want to see it go so far. I'd like uh, to see a little bit more. I think so. While you're kind of going through that, I totally agree with you on everything you're saying. Um, 
I just started thinking like if if there's any quarterback that sort of reminds me of Bryce Young, at least from like a physical point of view, it's Tua. In the sense that mm. Tua has, I would say, no physical elite traits. Like physically sure. speaking, he's not elite in anything. Mentally and processing and accuracy and stuff like that, that's like he's very good at all that. I think if he can stay healthy, he's gonna have especially in the scheme, like Tua has a chance to just go nuclear. Um, yeah. And that's exactly what we saw at Alabama, by the way. Like he was running quick shot, like, or, or like hit his back foot, get the ball out, hit his back foot, get the ball out. That was like what made, that was like how he was defined as like, I'm slicing up defenses when I hit my back foot, everything's on time. When he tries to get outside of structure and do things like that's when it looks bad. It's like, this is not a guy who's going to outrun a defensive end. If he gets hit by a defensive end, it's scary. He's not a big guy. You know what I mean? Like, these are the things I'm thinking about. And then when you think about how Bryce Young was defined as a quarterback in college, it was holding on to the ball, running around, making things happen, stepping away from pressure, stepping up into the pocket, like all these things that like essentially like Russell Wilson early on in his career. And like yep. Russell Wilson has like 20 pounds on Bryce Young and I know. is built diff. It, like literally it's like body composition is completely different. Like Bryce Young is like small, like he's small yeah. and he's not nearly as explosive as Russell Wilson was, by the way, and early on in his career. And so, yep. My worry is just like maybe the like I, I'm totally with you. Like I'm gonna be patient and see how this all plays out. And maybe Bryce Young is gonna end up being an awesome, awesome player in the NFL. But my worry is like, oh God, this style of play does not work with a guy who is this size in the NFL. Like it just does not yeah. work. He's gonna end up like I don't even know a good example, honestly. Well, and the way the way teams are playing defenses now, like you're just seeing a lot more discipline at the top of defenses than before right you know that's it's kind of an undiscussed part of ruining football yeah yeah this this too high (laughs) safety shell defense that you know fantasy guys hate but nfl coaches are in love with right now is i hate it yeah these these guys aren't they're not biting they're they will sit back there for four or five seconds and make you find someone open Mm -hmm. underneath and you know so that's that's the thing where if it is bryce young I think that's how Seattle loses is not staying disciplined mm. over the top. If it's if it's Andy Dalton, it's just going to be because I don't think they're decisive enough in coverage. <laughs> yeah. And Dalton's like if you look at Dalton's numbers from last year, like he was pretty efficient. I mean, I you know, there's you he could was. have He was like this, yeah, he was like a punchline all year and then like exactly. you stack his numbers up and you're like he was probably like the 16th to 18th best quarterback in the NFL. By the way, it's year. like especially seeing like what the the Saints did to like bring in Derek Carr, it's like is there that big of a difference? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, I don't know. Right. So I, I actually think Dalton in, in terms of backup quarterbacks, he's probably the last one I'd want to see, to be totally honest. Yeah. Um, he's souped up Colt McCoy. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. I hope that Bryce young plays because he's just more fun to watch. And I'm more interested in that storyline. But if, if Andy Dalton plays, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be more worried just because, you know, he's got way more experience yes. and just in terms of like the things that the, the types of players the Seahawks tend to lose to, he's definitely in that range more, I feel like. Um, yes. And so, yeah, this is going to be an interesting game, but they should, like I said, I feel like it'd be a great opportunity for them to make a statement. Give, give me a score prediction. What? So you said that the line is six. Yeah. Six and a half. Um, I don't know. Let's say 26 to 17. I think they'll just, you know, barely cover or whatever. Yep. Yep, I like it. I'm kind of right there with you. I'm yeah. I'm seeing a fucking 23-22 sweat fest. <laughs> As <laughs> yeah, for everybody usual. feeling yeah. great. See, <laughs> yeah, Seattle's going to be up ten with like five minutes left, and then <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna kick a field goal and then score a touchdown and go for two and miss it, and Seattle will win. Love it's it. gonna it's gonna be gross, Love but it. we're gonna get the win. All right, man. This has been awesome as always. Dude, I feel truly blessed to know you both within the world of the NFL, but also as a friend. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. Absolutely, man. I feel exactly the same way. For people that don't know, that don't know, uh, Jackson and I met in like freshman year of high school, and we were on. <laughs> so we were on the same baseball team back in the day, and I think that's yep. how we became friends. Uh, anyways, we've been close friends since. So if you didn't know that, now you know. Yeah, yeah, and and something I'm truly grateful for. Hey, look, man. Before we get out of here, where can those listening who don't already know find more of your stuff? <clears throat> the Ringer Fantasy Football Show is the podcast that I do four times a week. Plus, you can go to fantasyfootball.theringer.com for our rankings and our like. Uh, weekly updates. I do a waiver wire column there for fantasy every week. Um, and yeah, just the ringer.com Danny B Kelly on Twitter. 
yeah, you know, he's he's plugging himself humbly, but the work that he does at the ringer, if you play fantasy football, that's the spot. Like it's an interactive list. It's not just the static, you know, list of names and numbers. Uh, it, it really is kind of an immersive experience. So uh, shout that. out to Danny for that. Yeah, thank you. Shout out to Danny for coming on the show. That's going to do it for today. The Seahawks appear to be back in business and we'll be back in your ears next week. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media as well. I am on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's J A C S O N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling my name. Mike is on Twitter at, at Mike Barwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram and threads at Cigar Thoughts NFL, and on YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok at, at Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article after the game at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating, leave a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out CigarThoughtsNFL.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thought cigars, or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the deets. And when you buy these cigars, reach out with a pick and tell us what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life, and it is an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing the show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. <laughs>